0: All right good evening how we doing everybody glad all of you are on here hello 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 i love seeing your names pop up let me know you're watching some of you i may know your face but don't recognize your name on facebook you're welcome to be here maybe you don't even go to liberty you're always welcome to join us for bible study if you love jesus and love his word this is the place to be now i don't know about your house but at the church right now it is dark and it is raining and. Uh, Winter's starting to set in already. I know the time changes this weekend, and uh, I don't know how you feel about all of that, but it sure does start getting dark early, and uh, makes me want to just bundle up on the couch somewhere and build a fire or turn the fire on, and uh, if you got gas logs, uh, and just sit there and enjoy uh, being in the house a little bit. I know I love the warm weather too, but there's something special about this time of year. Makes me want to be in the house to read and study, and uh, so... Glad you've joined us. There's nothing better on television, so just turn that off. There is uh, nothing to do outside. It's raining and it's dark. So grab your Bible, turn to 1 John, and we're going to get right into the book here in just a few minutes. So I want to just say hey to everybody. Hey, Miss Karen. Hey, Miss Nan. Thank you so much for joining with me and uh, saying hey to me. I'm glad that all of you are on here. And uh, hey, Jerry. Nice to see y'all. Thank y'all for being with us. And if you're driving down the road, don't open your Bible. But if you've got, you're at home and you can, we'll be in 1 John. We'll be in 1 John chapter 2. This is our fourth week in uh, 1 John, and we are moving through. Probably got maybe two weeks left uh, to finish up the book, With the last chapters will go faster than the first two because we're land a whole lot of groundwork. And uh, so we'll be getting into that, and I'm excited to teach it. I, I can't really explain to you how good it does me to study it and, uh, hey, Tammy, and uh, I don't know if you get a whole lot out of it, but, man, it helps me on the study side and uh, helps me in my walk with the Lord. And uh, so I'm excited to study, and I hope that you are excited to hear it. Hey, Brother Allen, peace to you as well. Now, I'm going to remind you of some things coming up at Liberty. And, uh, yeah, John, don't don't open your uh, Bible traveling to Florida. You just listen. And, uh, but... Uh, Let me tell you some things going on in Liberty. Of course, every Sunday, 9 30 and 11, God meets with us. And if you weren't in the service on Sunday, you just missed it. Worship was incredible, Um, both services. And uh, and then the preaching just has been uh, unreal. Pastor Matt has just been really preaching. God's been helping him. He's always been a great preacher, but lately it just seems like God has just been piling it on because we need it. We need the encouragement, we need the conviction. And usually when God does things like that in a church, it's because he's ready to move them forward to take the next steps in his perfect plan. And we don't always know what those steps are, but he prepares our hearts for it through the preaching and singing of his word. And so uh, I'm excited every time I come to Liberty, excited to see what God is going to do and what he has been doing. I've had the privilege of being at Liberty since... Pastor Matt and I looked up a video yesterday, I think 2012 was the first time I preached at Liberty and I did not attend here. I was working at the rescue mission. So about eight years, I've been working on staff for six of those eight years. And so I've got to see God bring us a long way. And I will just go ahead and tell you, knowing Pastor Matt's heart and and being here every day just about, that where we are is not all God has for us. The future is bright. We are excited and looking forward to what God wants to do. And if you want to be a part of that, please just come on and make yourself at home. So 9, 30, and 11 on Sunday, come and bring somebody with you. You know somebody who needs what God is doing at Liberty, and I hope that you will find that person. Invite them to church. Always have somebody that you're working on. And... uh I will go ahead and give you a little inside secret, and Pastor Matt will probably get on me tomorrow, but, but we have a thing on our staff we call our four by four by four. It's four things i want to do, four people I need to talk to in the next four weeks. And Pastor Matt always stresses that one of the four people that we need to talk to needs to be someone who is not in church that we are currently working on to bring them to Jesus and to bring them to church. And uh, whichever one comes first is fine with us. And so I encourage you to always be having somebody that you're praying for, working for, dealing with, encouraging, and inviting to church. You can have multitudes, but have that one. Ask God to lay that one on your heart and invite them. And then November the 7th, uh, that will be the Saturday after this next Sunday, we're having a fall festival here at the church at 2 p.m. Now, I understand all of the social distancing and things that go on. I get all of that. You practice as much as you wish, and you'd be comfortable but we did not, we're not doing trick or treat this year. And uh, because of some things, not doing a WANA and trick or treat as part of our WANA program. But we are having a fall festival. That'll be on Saturday afternoon at 2 o'clock. Have some inflatables, working on some hay rides and some cotton candy and, and uh, some popcorn and things like that. We'll have a good time together, I promise. And uh, you can come bring your kids, let them have a good time. And then November the 8th, of course, November the 8th, Sunday morning, we'll have service at 9 3, and 11. It'll be a tremendous service because it always is. Hello, Miss Kathy from Allentown, Pennsylvania. My sister lives in Pennsylvania, and uh, she lives near Dallas, Pennsylvania. I'm not sure where that is in relation to you, but if you should see her, tell her, hey. And uh, I'm just kidding a little bit. But November the 8th is our Vision Sunday, and we don't we don't uh, normally have service on Sunday night, but uh, that Sunday we're having a special service at six o'clock, and Pastor Matt is going to come in, and we're going to be very casual and relaxed. We're going to have some music from the praise team, worship together for a while, just praise the Lord and rejoice, and then Pastor Matt's going to work through what God has laid on his heart, what he's looking forward to in 2021, what he believes God wants to do, The uh, some, maybe some changes in our staff a little bit, and some plans for things, and so it is an exciting time. We'll also be going over what God has done in 2020, and in spite of everything grinding to a halt because of the pandemic, God has been working and I'm just thrilled to be able to share some of the things that God did and uh, in Liberty during the COVID. And uh, and even now, he's continuing to work. And uh, all right, Ms. Kathy, north of Allentown. Now I know where she's at. It's been a long time since I've been up there a bit, and uh, but I trust that she is doing well. So please plan on coming to Liberty November the 1st for service. Don't forget to set your clocks. Let's see, we fall back. So we gain the hour, but it makes us... Makes it get dark earlier, and uh, and then service at nine thirty and eleven. Good thing about having two services: if you mess up on the time, you can always just stay around and come to the other service or or uh, catch the early one, whichever way works out for you. Then Saturday, November the seventh, at two o'clock, we have a fall festival, and then vision Sunday night, November the eighth, at six p.m. Of course, we'll have the normal service in the morning, and so excited about those things. All right, so. Let's take our Bibles, let's turn to 1 John chapter 2. Now I want to remind you of a few things in review, because what I'm going to talk about tonight leads right off of that. It's a continuation of these things, and um, I I want you to kind of stay with me. Now I'll go ahead and tell you that some of the folks that... uh, always encourage me online, especially on Wednesday night, are out of town this week. And uh, I don't know if they're in a position. I haven't seen them come up yet that they're watching, but I do know they're out of town. So I need some of y'all to take up the slack, all right? I'm in a room at an undisclosed location in the belly of the church, and I'm all by myself staring at a screen, and all I can see is your responses. And so if something encourages you or blesses you or even makes you mad, I'd like to know about it. You can give me a thumbs up, smiley face, make a comment, whatever you want to do, and we will talk about it. Thank you, Carl. That's exactly what I need. Come on and preach. So if you have your Bible, 1 John chapter 2. Now, last time we were together, I reminded you that 1 John is all about this word, fellowship, family fellowship particularly. And I reminded you that fellowship always starts this way first, fellowship with God, and it leads me to fellowship with other people. If you're a Christian, you by design want to fellowship with other Christians. If you are having to be in your house because of COVID, if you're separated from other people because of lack of transportation or something like that, you it bothers you. You want to be with God's people. I always worry about a Christian who is perfectly okay being the lone ranger all by themselves. They don't go to church, they just sit at home and read their Bible. I'm not saying they're not saved. They're just not walking in fellowship. They got to have it. Thank you, Miss Peggy. I appreciate that and so god gives us these terms of family fellowship and reminds us about these two traits about him that we talked about last week the one gets way more emphasis than the other We always teach our children God is love, and I am so thankful that God is love. I'm so thankful. But that doesn't come until later on in the book. The first thing that God tells us is that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all, and reminds us that the holiness of God and the love of God work together in harmony, and we need the whole message. We don't just need to preach that God is love. We need to preach that God is light. Take this for an example, John three sixteen. You can probably quote it with me. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in Him shall not perish but have everlasting life. We have quoted that a thousand times, but don't leave out 17 and 18, particularly 18, which tells us that he that believeth not is condemned already because he has not believed on the name of the only begotten Son of God. So we have the God is love, he gave his only Son, and we have the God is light condemned already. That is the whole message of the gospel. And to leave one side or the other off is an error. Now I'll go ahead and tell you, I grew up, and Pastor Matt, to some extent, grew up in the God is light side. What a whole lot of love in it. And I know that a lot of people grew up in the God is love side, and they don't really emphasize the holiness of God. Both are ditches on the side of the road, all right? Get in the middle where the love and the holiness do not work against each other, but work in harmony together, and then you are balanced and biblical in your application, all right? God is light, God is love. And so when we were talking about God is light, last week I gave you three reasons or three proofs that we're walking in the light. I'm going to give them to you again. We've only talked about the first one for a little bit, and we'll get to the second one tonight. The three proofs that you're walking in the light, because it's easy to say that you walk in the light, and the Bible reminds us if we walk in the light, but we still live in sin, then we're a liar. But the but the three proofs of everyone having the right attitude towards sin number two, obedience, and then number three, rejection of false doctrine. So the right attitude towards sin, as we discussed last week in chapters 1, verse 6, verse 8, and verse 10, reminds us that we are not to minimize sin, but we're to have a Christ-centered approach to sin, not a sin center. That God is faithful and just to forgive me of my sin and to lead us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now, I'll just remind you that it does not say that God is kind and loving to forgive me, but he is faithful and he is just. To whom is he faithful and to whom is he just? He's faithful and just to Jesus because Jesus has died on the cross, paid for my sin, and God keeps his covenant with Jesus. That's why I am forgiven. And my confession must be Christ-centered, not sin-centered. I'm not looking at me, the sinner. I'm looking at Christ, the atonement for my sin. And the Bible reminds me in 1 John chapter 2 that when I sin, if I sin, because I'll sin, I have an advocate. The word advocate means paraclete, one who comes alongside, a lawyer, one who pleads my case. It's used four times in the Bible. Three times it's about the Holy Spirit in in John chapter 14 through 16. And here it means Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ is my advocate with the Father. He's the one who pleads for me. When I see him. And he doesn't plead my merits, so I don't need that. He pleads Jesus' merits. Jerry, I see your text. I see your, your message there. If you'll talk to me afterwards, I'll be glad to help you all I can. Private message me through the church or at Dusty Bracket on Facebook, and I've been glad to talk to you all that you need to know. I have plenty of time for that anytime. So please reach out to me after this live video is over. Our, our lawyer pleads his merits for us, not ours, all right? And so the first point of having the right attitude towards sin is having a Christ-centered approach to confession. That was all last week. If you want more detail, go get last week's video off this page or go to Rooted with Dusty on YouTube, and you can get it easily. All right, the second thing is, is that true confession, true confession not only makes is Christ-centered, but true confession confession addresses sin and sins, all right? Look at chapter one, verse seven. He says, if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin, singular. And then in verse chapter one, verse nine, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. Is this just plural and singular? Is that all there is to it? Of course not. There's way more to it than that. Because one represents what we are. The other represents what we do. One is sin, what I am. One is sins, what I do. And true confession addresses both of those things. If you go back and you really want some light reading, and I'm, I'm, I'm being facetious on purpose, go read the book of Leviticus. Leviticus chapter 4 gives us the sin offering. It tells us what needs to be done. And there is no definite act of sin mentioned. But Leviticus chapter 5 and 6 gives us the trespass offering. And by some people's counts, there are over 20 different sins listed that the trespass offering will cover. What's the difference between sin and trespass? One is what we are, one is what we do. And true confession includes both. Sin is what I am. Sins. Is what I do. I sin because I am sin. I am a sinner because I am sin. The sin of what I am is the root of the actions, and God will always deal with us in true confession, not just about what we do, but about what we are. And so I would like for you just to think about the last time you really had some time with God when you confessed your sins. And I guarantee you, if you're like me, that most of what you confessed was what you did. God wants to lead you on in a deeper confession to confess what you are. That's what he wants to do. If you read Psalm 51, Psalm 51 is David's response to God after he had sinned with Bathsheba. And he never mentions his sin with Bathsheba, but he talks a whole lot about the fact that he was born in sin, that he was a sinner that he is all of these things, and he dealt much more with what he was instead of what he did, because we we, we have an issue, which leads me to the second point, the third point of this true confession. I'm going to tie together. True confession says the same thing about sin that God says about sin. In fact, confession means, I'm not trying to be too technical, but the Greek word has two parts. Homo and legos. Legos, word and same. We know what homo means in this culture. Absolutely, same, all right? But, But logos, legio, has that idea of the word. So the same word. To confess means to say the same thing. In other words, God says some things about our sin, and my confession makes me say the same thing about sin that God says about my sin. See, God's not interested in an apology from you. He wants you to identify yourself with the fact that you are a sinner. And because you're a sinner, you commit sins. Let me put it to you this way. I'm not trying to hurt anybody's feelings. I just want you to get the word of God and understand it. All right. It's this idea. People tell me sometimes, hey, pray for brother. He's got a he's got a drinking problem. These teenagers have some hangups. They got a porn problem. I got a drug problem. The Bible doesn't call them problems. The Bible calls them abominations, iniquities, trespasses, and sins. I mean, honestly, how would you feel if you said, Hey, I'm having drinking drink an abomination. You yeah, know, I have, I have an adultery trespass. I have a drug iniquity. Those are the terms God uses. That's what God uses. And he calls us these things and reminds us of what sin is because he wants us to recognize it as heinous as it really is. We often approach things with this attitude that uh, I'm a good person. I just have some things I'm struggling with. And the Bible just rips all of that apart. God says you're not a good person, all right? You're a wicked person, and you need Jesus And Jesus is your great high priest. He's your advocate in heaven. And looking unto Jesus is the only way that you'll really be free. But you'll never really look to Jesus as long as you consider yourself a good person with a few problems. But if you consider yourself to be a wicked sinner full of abomination and iniquity, And see, it just tears down all of our self-esteem. Be careful about the whole idea of self-esteem. Get it from the terms of the Bible. I have self-esteem because Christ loves me, because Christ died for me. It's not rooted in myself. It's rooted in my Savior. And when it's rooted in my Savior, then it's the right kind of self-esteem. But man's normal self-esteem, God rips all that away. That keeps you from grace because it makes you feel good about yourself to give yourself self-love. You ought to rest in the love of Jesus. That's far better than your self-love. Take your place at the foot of the cross as a wicked sinner, an abomination to God. You know, sometimes you come in church and our natural human nature automatically elevates us above other people. We look down on them. We judge them at a distance. Yeah, you do. Yes, you do. Yes, you do. We do it. We do it. And I heard a quote that helped me. Somebody said this way, you know, Paul in the Bible said he was the chief of sinners. But we consider him to be, after Jesus Christ, the greatest Christian that ever lived. Yeah, but if Paul thought he was the chief of sinners, what must I be? Yeah, I must be pretty bad. But I heard this and it helps me. Somebody said, if you don't consider yourself to be the chief of sinners, by very definition, you consider someone else to be the chief of sinners. And that makes you arrogant. It makes you self-righteous. It separates you from the grace of God. No one should be a bigger sin. Well, I've never done these things. Okay, Mr. Pharisee, stand over there in the corner while we publicans take our place. And you can stand there and say, dear God, I thank you that I am not like other men. I, I, I pay my tithe. I do these things. You're a good man with a few problems, and the grace of God will never help you. It'll never help you because you'll never get it because you can't come on his terms because true confession addresses sin, who I am, and sins, and it calls sins. It agrees with God about what a sin is. It says the same thing, and the reason why you lie is because you are a liar. The reason why you commit adultery is because you're an adulterer. You're a whoremonger or a harlot, the Bible says, and the reason why you struggle with alcohol is because you're a drunkard. Oh, Brother Dusty, those are not politically correct terms. Those are just Bible terms because you got to come to God on God's terms to get God's grace and His blessing and forgiveness. Take your place down here with the rest of us sinners and recognize that all of us, every one of you listening to me and all those who ain't listening to me and the ones who aren't listening to me are extra bad sinners. But We're just old, wicked, whoremongers and harlots and drunkards and drug addicts. And sinners, liars, deceivers, covetous. Oh, that's what our hearts are. And the only hope we have is our great high priest who pleads for us. See, true confession always drives me to Jesus. It finds no place for self, uh, uh, a, a, no place for self comfort, no place for self advancement in the confession, it just takes its place before the Lord. And I heard an old man say, he said, I'm just a poor sinner and nothing at all, but Jesus is my all in all. How did I get where I at? Looking unto Jesus. How do I continue to go? Looking unto Jesus. And true confession in the book of First John always drives me back to those ideas that we find elsewhere, trusting in my great high priest in the book of Hebrews, resting in those things. And so, If you know you're walking in the light, it'll be shown through your true confession of sin, having the right attitude towards sin. It's got to be Christ-centered. It confesses both sin and sins, and it agrees with God about what you are in Him and in sin apart from Him. And if you have those things, that is one proof that you are walking in the light. First one I gave you. The second proof. That you are walking in the light, is that we live a life of obedience. Can I read you some verses? Chapter 2, you can jump there with me. 3, the passage kind of goes 3 through 11, but we're just going to read the first couple. And hereby we do know that we know him, if we keep his commandments. He that saith, I know him, and keepeth not his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoso keepeth his word in him, verily is the love of God perfected. Hereby know that we are in him. He that saith he abideth in him ought himself also to walk even as he walked. So there it tells us. How do we know we're walking in the light if we keep his commandments? Obedience. A little song that I used to sing as a child, O-B-E-D-I-E-N-C-E. I'm not good at spelling, but I learned how to spell that word by singing that song. Obedience is the very best way to show that we believe, doing exactly what the Lord commands, doing it, Faithfully, action is the key. Do it immediately. Joy you will receive. Obedience is the very best way to show that you believe. I would sing it for you, but uh, my numbers of people watching would drop drastically, and I'd be all by myself on the screen as well as in the room. But if you remember that song, give me a like, um, because uh, that, that's how I learned to spell it, and it's the proof, it's the best way to show that you believe. He says obedience. He said if you say you know him but you don't keep his commandments it's because you're mistaken. No that's not what he says. God doesn't pull punches. He says it's because you're a liar. That's what he said. You're a liar. Now it doesn't mean that you never have faults because in the verse right above that he tells us that we have an advocate when we sin. We are going to fall but he's talking about a lifestyle, a direction, if you say that you walk in the light, that you know God, but you continually live a lifestyle of sin, it is because you are lying. You do not really know the truth, and you don't know him. But if you know that you know him, you will keep his commandments. Obedience is the key. I love that phrase. Here about we know that we know. I just ask you, do you know that you know? Do you know that you know? Because you can, because he says so. And the obedience in your life is not what produces the knowledge. It's just the evidence that the knowledge exists. I know that I know because of what that verse says. Rick Boswell, I hope you sing it in your sleep all night long. Call me up and we'll sing it as a duet. Get the band back together and uh, we'll sing that song. All right, so when it comes to obedience, let me give you some characteristics of this obedience. I'm going to give you a term and I hope that you will... uh, not turn me off just kind of think through it with me cuz it's not a word we use all right our obedience has to be new covenant obedience simple dusty what is what is new covenant obedience well understand the word covenant just means a promise all right an agreement okay and the bible is divided into two parts old testament new testament all right. Word testament means the same thing as covenant. It's just another word. It's a synonym. So we had the old covenant and the new covenant. The old covenant stresses what man must do. If you read oh, if you read through the Bible in the year or whatever you're, you're reading through, you're reading the Pentateuch, all the laws and rules and regulations that God's people could not keep it. They did not keep it. They were um, placed in the captivity, separated from God, what you must do. But the new covenant Emphasizes what has been done for us in Jesus Christ. God does some things for us. And we just embrace what he has given us in the new covenant. And we live in the era, in the age of God's grace. All right? But because we have the grace, certain things are expected of us. Our obedience is not the obedience of the old covenant. You need to do it. That is drudgery. It is bondage. And I lived under that most of my life. But the new covenant is living and obeying because of the grace of God and the work that He's done in our hearts. Philippians 2.13. Can you say this verse with me? No, not that one. I can do all things through Christ. No, no, not that one. 2.13 says that it is God that worketh in you both the will and to do of his good pleasure, both the desire and the performance of his good pleasure. God works it in us. All obedience is new covenant obedience if it's true obedience. And so... One of the hardest things I got to do is to get my children. Well, the only one living at home now, and the only one I have any hope for. Sorry, Zach, Mackenzie, Levi, and Andrew. But the only one I have any hope for is, is for Porter. And I got to teach him he's living under the old covenant right now. He must do it because I said so. That's the law. That's the rule of my house. But eventually he'll grow up, and I want him to enter into new covenant. I want him to do it because of the relationship that we enjoy, because of the fellowship that we have with one another. That's what I want him to do. That is new covenant obedience. Let me put it to you this way. Hebrews chapter 8 says that in the new covenant, God writes his laws in our hearts. In the old covenant, God's law was written on the stones. It was written in the books, but God writes it in our hearts. That's a wonderful thing. Our law, his law is within our hearts. Well, what does that mean Brother Dusty, We'll apply it here. Psalm 40 verse 8. You can look it up sometime. I'm going to quote part of it for you. It says, I delight to do thy will, O God. Yea, thy law is within my heart. So if God's law is in your heart, how will you obey? You will delight to obey. Delight to obey. That is new covenant obedience. It is delighting to obey. In other words, obedience is delighting in God's will. Anything less than delighting in God's will, candidly, is a sin. It's a sin. If God's will is a duty if God's will is a drudgery, if God's will is a responsibility, if you just have a resignation because I've got to do these things, that's not obedience. That's not real obedience. That is disobedience. You said, oh, Brother Dusty, I I can't live under that. Of course you can't. That's why you have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, your high priest, who works both in you the will and to do. Run to him. Look to Jesus so he can work in new covenant obedience into your life. And I've often found this true in my life. Sometimes God will put me in difficult places. And as long as I view this as an endurance, a duty, a drudgery, I resign myself to the difficult circumstances I'm in, I never move forward in my Christian life. I don't. don't. But when God does a work in my heart, he does a work in my heart, and I get to the place where I delight to do his will, when even the things that I hated, to be involved with, the circumstances that I do not like are surrounding me, but I embrace them because they are from the Lord, that is moving forward in my Christian life. That is new covenant obedience. Now, if you've ever heard me talk about my kids at all, I used to have a rule growing up. You can ask my kids right now anytime you want to about how they have to obey, all right? When they were growing up, I told them they had to obey three ways. Walk up to Zach on Sunday morning and ask him how how he had to obey. He'll tell you. He said, when we were growing up, we had to obey immediately, completely, and sweetly. Immediately. As soon as 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 Dad says something, got to go do it. Completely. Whatever he told me to do, I got to do it all the way. Sweetly, I got to have the right attitude while I do it. Because if you're stomping around, groaning, and complaining about what you have to do, you do not really obey. Thank you, Anna. Immediately, completely, and sweetly. That is new covenant obedience. It is delighting to do his will. Yeah, and that's what he means when he says in chapter 2, verse 3, and hereby we know that we know him if we keep his commandments. See, the word keep there does not mean just observance, right? That's old covenant obedience. Keep has the idea of being a keepsake. It is this, that I keep his commandments. I I treasure them. I I, I, I keep them close. I, I hide them. And I I tuck them away. I keep them close to me. That's what the term means, all right? To keep his commandments. And it drives me back to my great high priest, Jesus Christ, and looking unto him. And I added the little addendum of things I used to say at home immediately, sweetly, or completely, or I will beat thee. That's what I used to say at home. And I was trying to keep that on the down low so that I'm not arrested for child abuse. And uh, so uh, teasing a little bit, but having the right attitude of obedience to the Lord is new covenant obedience. And we know that we know him if we keep his commandments in a new covenant fashion. And we delight to do his will. What is your response to God's will for your life? I know some of you on here have struggles. Oh my, your lot in life is difficult. And lots of times, I kind of look at some people that I know and I just pity them. But do you want pity? No, I don't want pity. Uh-uh. No, I delight to do His will. Now, if this is the lot that He has brought me, I can't explain all the ramifications of, and the ripple effects of all of the circumstances that are going to take place in my life because of where I'm at. But I want my choices to be right. I want to delight to do His will, and I want joy in my heart while I do it, regardless of what comes from it, because I want to bring honor and glory to my Savior, Jesus Christ. And my advocate with the Father pleads for me, and He works in me new covenant obedience. Is your obedience new covenant? Do you delight to do His will? You just endure His will. Do you delight to read your Bible? Do you delight to pray? Do you delight to go to church? Or is it a drudgery? You can't wait to get it over with. You can go back to living the life you want to. It's not walking in the light. It's not. You'll lose the confidence that you know that you know Him if you don't walk in the light in new covenant obedience. The second part of new covenant obedience is that true obedience accepts God's commandment and commandments. So oh, here we go again, Brother Dusty, singular and plural. I know. But look at it with me, 2-3. Him, I know that we know him if we keep his commandments. And then in verse 7, Brethren, I write no new commandment unto you, but an old commandment. He says, oh, it's just singular and plural. Well, no, there's a difference. Because here's what I want you to understand. One represents the commands of God in toto, totally. One accepts the commandments of God in piecemeal, individually. One is the will of God. One is the application of the will. It's, uh, explain it like this. So, this book, this Bible, this huge Bible that I have, I had this Bible for years, but I hardly to get rid of it. So this Bible represents the will of God. So God comes to you when he says, here, do my will. You say, oh, let me see what your will is. He says, no, 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 no. Just accept my will. Well, before I can say yes, I I need to find out what your will is. Oh, no. mm, mm, No, he didn't allow us to do that. He says, take my will, my commandment in total and take it without ever seeing it. Sight unseen, take my will. Yield to me. Make me the boss. Let me rule and reign in your life. And then, day by day, you can flip it open and say, oh, okay, well, I've already accepted your will in totality, so if this is the will for today, then I accept it because I've already accepted the whole. The individual part is not hard to accept if you've already accepted the whole. The problem is that we as Christians want to take God's will, flip it open, pick out the parts we like, do those, and not keep the parts we don't like. Throw those out. God says, no, if you're going to have obedience, accept it as a whole, before you can ever accept it in part. Because if you do not keep the whole, then you're not really keeping the part because the whole includes the parts and you can't separate the two. I, I often talk to the guys at the Rescue Mission about this in relationship to God's will. I say, you know, what if God came to you and he says, look, you know, here's, here's this piece of paper. I'm ripping rip it out here. He said, this piece of paper represents my will and I want your signature at the bottom. Okay? Where's the will? Well, I'm going to fill it in later. You go ahead and sign first that you're going to keep it, and then I'll write the rest of it. I mean, how many of you would sit down in a contract, and the person you're signing the contract with said, go ahead and just sign the bottom of the paper, and we'll fill it in later. You would say, no way, Jack. i got to read. i got to understand. my am signing my name to something. And I don't even know what's written. That's exactly what God is asking you to do. He's asking you to sign your name, that you will do his will, and then you let him fill that in. However he wants to, in whatever way he wants to, because he knows what's best for you. That is accepting the commandment. When you accept the commandment that way, then day by day you learn to accept the commandments. And the reason why some of us listening, or maybe not listening, have such trouble with the commandments is because we have never accepted the commandment. We have never taken his will in total and yielded to it in obedience, that he has the right to do whatever he wants in my life. He's the king. He gets it all. And so we struggle when he comes to us with these day-to-day things. But the day-to-day things are of no consequence if you have accepted it in total. I mean, 10 years ago, May 28th, was it 29th, Anna? Um, 2010, I committed to a life of faithfulness, and monogamy with Anna Marie Smith. Yeah, I did not know what the future holds. How many offers I would get from beautiful women from all around the world? None. How many opportunities I would have to be unfaithful? Rarely. But I committed in total on that day without knowing the future. And because I made that commitment to her on that day, yeah. living day to day in faithfulness is simple, it's easy. But you know, if I hadn't made the commitment, I mean, if we were just shacking up and living together, then it, wouldn't, it would be much more difficult to be faithful because I've never made, I've never accepted it in total. And so the day-to-day application, the part, the piecemeal part, doesn't mean as much. And Most of us struggle with the piecemeal part because we've never accepted it in total. And so I'll just ask you tonight, have you ever came to the place in your Christian life where you said, okay, God, not my will, But thine be done. I'll sign the paper. You get it all. I don't know what all that means. My control nature wants to see every detail. I want to build hedges around certain things that I look to for confidence and strength. I want to know what's going to happen with my kids, where I'm going to live, how I'm going to spend my money, where I'm going to do all of these things. Don't call me to the mission field. Don't ask me to preach or teach a Sunday school class. I might work in the nursery. I don't know if I don't have anything else to do. I'll help park cars. Those things are fine, but don't ask me to get out. No, no, God says, no, no, no. Accept it all. And then you will understand. Alan, that's a great thing. Alan references uh, the book of 1 uh, Kings when God told Elijah just to go to a place, and that's what I'm thinking of, and he said, I'll show you, I'll provide for you, I'll take you, but you've got to be willing to take the steps to go. Abraham was the same way. He said, go to the place, and Abraham went out not knowing whether he went. That, that's, that's what God wants from us. It's proven in the life of Elijah, proven in the life of Abraham, and a thousand other, million other Christians before any of us ever got here. And God said, obey my commandment, singular, and then you can keep my commandments, plural. And one is his will in total, and the other is his will in application. And you have to have both of those things. And if you struggle with the application, step back and make sure that you are yielded to his right in your life. Because if you won't give him the rights to your life, whatever partial obedience you're doing through the week that makes you feel good about your Christianity, um, this verse 3 says, You know that you know him because you keep his commandments. And if you don't keep his commandments, you're a liar. It's a hard thing to read, but it's something we need to remember. And so God wants us to sign without knowing. And to accept his will in its totality and trust him for the future. Let me remind you of something. Is it hard to trust a king who gave his life for you and wants what's best for you? Is it hard to trust that kind of king? He's exemplified his care for you by giving his life and providing for you and taking care of you this far, and you can't yield to his will for your life, oh, he knows what's best. He does. Your choices have only wrecked and ruined and and, and brought regret in your life. Let him make some choices. Follow his his will for your life. And whatever the statement, even if it leads to the valley of the shadow of death, rod and staff will comfort you. Sit down in the presence of your enemies. Dwell the house of the Lord forever. That's all you get. That's all. Follow him. True obedience accepts God's commandment. And commandments, all right? Thirdly, when it comes to obedience, Timothy, thank you for getting off on that point. I know it's convicting, isn't it? True obedience is both positive and negative. It loves and it loves not. Let me show it to you. All right. He tells us, let's see, chapter two, verse ten. He that loveth his brother abideth in the light, and there is not occasion of stumbling in him. We'll get to that loving the brother on a different night in more detail. Verse fifteen: Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. So he says you're supposed to obedience loves the brother, loves not the world, right? And I, I would just remind you that love is both negative and positive. Our world likes to emphasize love in the positive, and anything that's in the negative they call hate. Let me just remind you that you cannot have true love unless there is some love not. Unless there is some hate, all right? I love my family, and because I love my family, there are some things that I hate because they would harm my family, and I hate them. I love you, but my love for my family trumps my love for you if you break in my house at midnight. Yeah. Come on in, and I probably got something for you if you don't call first. You say, oh, well, that ain't right. My responsibility as the head of my home is to protect my wife and child come in and I'll demonstrate to you my methods of protection in whatever caliber you prefer, all right? And uh, don't, don't take that the wrong way. I just want you to get the point that because I love my family, I by necessity have to hate the things that would damage my family. And so God tells us, hey, in our fellowship with him and with one another, love the brethren. But to love the brethren, you must hate those things that damage the fellowship and damage this fellowship. By necessity, you must love And love not. Those two things go together. And what does he tell us not to love? He says, Love not the world. So, is he talking about the people of the world? Of course not. That would violate so many other scriptures. He tells us in the Bible that we're supposed to love our brethren, we're supposed to love one another, and we're supposed to love our enemies. All right? What group does that not include? Love the brethren, love one another, love your enemies. All right? It's everybody. We're supposed to love. So we know that God is not saying love not the world. But he's talking about the world's system. He's talking about their values. He's talking about the world is going this way and God's people are going this way. And if you love this way, don't love that way. It's impossible. Amos 3, 3 can two well together except they be agreed. So but let's see what is the world system. I'll tell you what it is. Sometime turn on the Oscars or the Emmys or the VMAs or the Grammys or whatever you want to and watch that for a little while. Right, CMAs. That attitude that is expressed on television that we see all the time is the world. They don't value Christianity. They don't value loving Jesus. They don't value going to church. They don't value doing right. That is the world. And be careful about what you're entertained by. Be careful about what you watch. Don't love the world. Be careful about how you dress and how you identify in your dress. Don't love the world. Be careful about who you hang around with. Don't love the world. I didn't write this. He wrote it. He wrote it. And he said, if you really love the brethren and you love the Father and you want to continue this fellowship, you got to love not. That's the other side of it. And you cannot have the positive without having the negative. Oh, I just want to love everybody. I can't. All right? I can love them the way Jesus wants me to love them. But if they are in opposition, I, I love not those who seek those values. And I'm not talking about on a personal level. I love them on a personal level. But I cannot love that lifestyle. I cannot love those things and love the brethren and have fellowship with the Father. And so if you have unsaved friends who don't know the Lord, your love for them ought to be to get them to the right place, not because you want to embrace their lifestyle. Not. No. And God said to convict my life about this multiple times, about Loving not the world. I cannot love him and love the brethren and walk in fellowship and love the world at the same time. It does not work. All right? And then let me just give you this, and we'll have to wrap it up a little bit tonight, but I want you to notice that in verses 12 through 14, he says he's writing to these three groups of people. See if you can see them with me. All right? Verse 12, he says, I write unto you, little children, because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake." I write unto you fathers because you have known him that is from the beginning. I write unto you young men because you have overcome the wicked one. I write unto you little children because you have known the Father. I've written unto you fathers because you have known him that is from the beginning. I have written unto you young men because you are strong and the word of God abideth in you and you have overcome the wicked one. Now, these three three groups. Little children, fathers, and young men. And of course the young men, little children, fathers are gender neutral. In this sense, he's not necessarily talking about men, men and women. And so he's given us this family because this is family book. John's the writer of the family, the fellowship of the family. And so he's talking about family. And he talks about little children, old fathers, mothers. And he's talking about young men and women in the middle. And I want you to get that in this passage, he's giving us this start and end of fellowship. Where does all fellowship with God start? Notice it, these little children. The little children, I write to you little children because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. And then when he repeats it, he says, I write to you little children because you have known the Father. How do we know the Father as little children? Not necessarily talking about our age physically, but spiritually. All fellowship with the Father starts with the forgiveness of sins. That is the beginning point of anything. You cannot have fellowship with God. Unless your sins are forgiven because God is light and in him is no darkness at all. But his love provided for you a way through Jesus Christ and the beginning of any fellowship with God starts with the forgiveness of sins. That's how you know the father and little children. What is the end result? Notice it about the fathers. He says it two times, the very same thing. I write unto you fathers because you have known him that is from the beginning. In other words, the old Gospel that's been around since the beginning. Fathers, you've entered into that. And it speaks of maturity. It speaks of solidity. It speaks of knowing what you believe, why you believe it, and entering into a deep fellowship with God where Christ is preeminent in all things. You have known him that was from the beginning. God, in his full revelation, so it starts with little children and then forgiveness of sins. And the ultimate goal is to be a father, mature, mature, steadfast, steady, walking in fellowship with God. What is the means from the beginning, knowing fellowship with God, to the knowing him from the beginning? How, how do I get from point A to point B? Well, then he gives it to us as the young men. What does he say? I write to you, young men, because you've overcome the wicked one. I write unto you, young men, because you are strong and the word of God abides in you. How do I get from just living in fellowship on forgiveness of sins to the point of knowing him? That was from the beginning. I overcome the wicked one by letting the word of God abide in me and make me strong. That is the process of the journey. All right, And here's what we find in the Christian life is that so many Christians are still little children even though they've been saved for 35 years. All they can talk about is that their sins are forgiven. That's all they can talk about. And Peter even tells us, let's go on. I mean, Hebrews even tells us, let's go on past this thing. All right, let's get beyond just rejoicing in the fact that my sins are forgiven. It's a wonderful thing. But that's just like somebody always celebrating birthday number one. It's birthday number one, birthday number one, birthday number one. Birthday number one is special if you have a baby. But if he's been on the earth for 25 years and he's still got a one on his birthday cake, something's weird, right? And if you're a Christian and you've been saved 25 years and all you can talk about and rejoice about is that God has forgiven your sins, you have not gone on in the fellowship. Because if you will abide in his word, he will take you from little children to the young men and women who are strong in their development. They overcome. They wage war. They fight because the word of God abides in them. Well, how do I get the word of God in me? Easy. Read it. Read it. Go to church. Get involved in a life group. Watch a Bible study. You have resources at your fingertips that the rest of the world has never enjoyed before now. There are so much. There is so much free material online. And if you need help sorting through some of it, I'll be glad to help you with that. I can point you in the right direction. But when you get invested and let the Word of God abide in you, guess what? You overcome the wicked one. And as you grow in it, eventually you get to the point of being a father who has known him who was from the beginning. And what is a father? A father is one who has reproduced. He has little children. Who get in on this fellowship through the forgiveness. But don't stay as little children. Go on as young men. And there's no reason why anybody should be saved for 40 years and still be struggling all the time, still just be living in the day-to-day forgiveness of sins. God wants to take us on in deeper fellowship with him. He wants to make you a mature, solid Christian, not tossed about by every wind of doctrine, but able to discern, rightly discern the word of truth, able to give an answer to every man that asketh you of the reason of the hope that's within you, able to reproduce and and bring others to Jesus because you have known him from the beginning and you walk in the light because he is in the light. That's what he wants for us. Do not be content to just be the little children. I'm glad you're a little child and you know the father because he's forgiven you of your sins, but that's just elementary. It's just elementary. Don't rest there. Go on. Go on. Fight. Overcome the wicked one. Abide in his word. Become strong in the faith. Put on the whole armor of God and learn to walk in obedience before him. And eventually, God will bring you to that place where you will know him that is from the beginning. And this is life eternal, that we might know thee, the only true God in Jesus Christ whom thou hast sent. You want abundant, overflowing life? Get to knowing him and learn it through abiding in his word. So Bill Dusty, I'm walking in the light. Really? Do you have the right attitude towards sin? Right attitude to confession? Do you have the right spirit of obedience. You have obeyed his commandment and his commandments. You have embraced these things. Then don't stop with just being a little child. Abide in the word. Go on so that he may produce in you what makes you a father, mature, steadfast, grown up, able to handle meat and not just milk. All right. So next time we're together, we're going to talk about the third proof that we walk in the light. The first Right attitude towards sin. The second is our obedience, and the third is the discernment of false doctrine. And if you want to read ahead a little bit, feel free to go ahead. Starting about verse 18, go down through the end of chapter two. We'll be talking about that next time we're together. And uh, if these if these uh, Bible studies have helped you a little bit, share the video with somebody. Pass it on. It's easy. Just click share at the bottom. It is my privilege to teach. It's my privilege to study. You just don't know how much it helps me. And when I see that it helps you, it just helps me even more. So thank you for this fellowship and our time together. Thank you for taking an hour out of your night and just sitting around the Word of God. And if there's something inside of you that loves these things, just think what eternity will be when we don't have to get up and go to work tomorrow and we'll sit around in heaven and enjoy the presence of God. You say, but we'll know everything then. Oh, no, we won't. No, no, we'll go on in our understanding of who God is because God is an inexhaustible being so in heaven, we'll still be discovering and understanding the things about Jesus without the shackles of these flesh. It'll be an incredible time. Thank you for thanking me. It is my privilege to be with you. Uh, You can share this video. If you can't get it on Facebook, you can watch it on YouTube through Rooted with Dusty. You can look it up. All those videos are there. Anything put there just to help you understand and grow in the knowledge of God, abide in his word, and become a father. I'm excited about what God is doing at Liberty. I'm excited to be part of this. I'm excited that Jesus is coming and all this chaos all around us. Our God is on the throne and nobody's voting on him on November the 3rd. He'll be God on November the 4th and the 5th and on through it all. And eventually all these people squabbling and fighting on TV will take their place before him. And every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Looking forward to that day. I love you. Thank you for watching. Have a good night.